0: church. Guys, it is good to be together. Great to see everyone. I love that our church loves each other. Guys, I told Amelie that I wasn't even aware that there was such a thing as Pastor Appreciation Day, but uh, great. I can talk my kids into like making me cookies or something like that. But, um, but yeah, guys, I just want to say I love you guys. It's outside of being like a, uh, a husband and a father, I think one of the highest honors for me as a man is to, to pastor this church. And so You guys are awesome. I'm grateful to be part of this family with you guys. But um, if you have your Philippians journal, go ahead and grab that. Grab your Bible and find your way to Philippians chapter 1. All right, if you are new to Doxa, again, welcome. My name is Rob. one of the pastors here. Um, We are in the middle. Actually, we're at the front end of our study through this great book of Philippians. We're going to take the next 10 or so weeks leading up to Christmas. I know some of you are like Buddy the Elf. You've already got the Christmas countdown going. If you didn't know that, I think it's like 10, 12 I don't even know, it's weeks away, but we're going to take this journey all the way to Christmas and it's going to be awesome. But if you don't have a Bible and you're new, guys, we would love to give you one. We believe that the Bible is a book that God wrote. It's his words breathed out to us to teach us who he is, who we are, and the truth about our world. And so we would love to give you one as a gift. So at our coffee bar, there's an info corner. You can stop there, grab a couple for your family. It's just kind of like our gift to you. But as we get into this today, let me just remind you of this from last week, okay? Because Philippians is a beautiful letter, but really it's got the big overarching theme of joy. That as the Apostle Paul writes this letter, he uses the word joy or rejoice more in this letter than in any other New Testament book. And today what we're going to see is we're going to see Paul talk about, and we're going to see him live out and demonstrate a very specific joy. A joy in suffering. All right, so suffering is the topic today. It's everyone's favorite pastime, right? We, we love suffering. We love to talk about suffering, love to watch people suffer. It's one of the greatest things about life, right? No, not even close, right? But this, this reality is, is what you need to know, all right? If you don't know this, I need to tell you this today. Guys, in large part, to be alive means that you will suffer. Doxa, so you will suffer throughout this life. You will suffer physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, all because you are human, you are alive, and we live in a broken world that has been radically marred and affected by sin. You will suffer. And when we consider the Bible, you guys, one of the things that I love about the Bible, it's the most honest book in the world. And if you're newer to the Bible, you're newer to Christianity, I need to tell you this, that the Bible is not just like a fairy tale where everyone's lives are are perfect and telling us the story of like how God wants all Christians to be happy and healthy and wealthy. That's not the Bible. All right, throughout the Bible, we see a bunch of real people with a lot of real problems who suffer just like us. I mean, if you just consider the book of Psalms, for example, one third of the Psalms and psalms were songs that the, the, country, the nation of Israel would sing to God together. One-third of the psalms are songs of lament. These songs that these people would sing as they stumble through life and struggle through life and suffer through everyday stuff of life. The book of Lamentations is another one, written by the prophet Jeremiah. Where he's walking through and talking about his personal sufferings and also the sufferings of, of the people in the world, and, and he's really just called the weeping prophet, that you get this picture of Jeremiah just walking through life with tears coming out of his eyes because he's suffering so profoundly. And even Jesus, he suffered. He knew pain, He mourned, he cried. In Isaiah chapter 53, it says that Jesus was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. And if you just keep going throughout the scriptures, we see even other godly guys like Job that despite their great faith and faithfulness to God, they suffer to such a degree that they even look at their life and say, God, why did I even exist? And maybe you can kind of resonate with that. Maybe you've gone through just a lot of suffering in your life and you're asking that same question. Because the reality is, suffering is a very, very real thing for every single one of us. Some of us will will have a pretty easy life where you'll suffer to a very small degree and you just need to thank God for that. But for others of us, you will wake up every morning and just kinda take it on the chin, relentlessly. But regardless, we will all suffer throughout our lives. And so the question, Doxa, is not, will I suffer? That's not the right question. The question is, is like, when will I suffer? How will I suffer? How bad is it gonna be? How long will it last and is it gonna kill me? And the big overarching question, the real important question is this, will I suffer well? Meaning will I suffer in a way that is purposeful where God could do something both in me and through me for good and glory? Or will I suffer in a way that is very just like purposeless? where we'll miss out on the blessing of God and God won't accomplish anything good because of our stubbornness and our hard heart that we will just suffer poorly. Guys, these are the two options that we have as we go through life and we suffer. And this is what we're gonna talk about and look at today. And I want you to know this about Paul, all right? Historically, we know that the apostle Paul suffered greatly throughout his life, more than most people, just crazy ways. If you wanna read about this, 2 Corinthians gives a kind of a chronicle of just looking at all the ways that he suffers. Go ahead and read that. But I need you to know this because as we talk about suffering, I want you to know that we can trust Paul. All right, Paul is not some like armchair theologian who had just a really cushy life. Everything is smooth sailing from him, and he's just going through it and just totally detached from suffering and hurts in in real life. It's not him. All right, He, he can relate to us, he's been in our shoes, even worse. And so we can trust Paul because he has suffered and he's done it well. And in our suffering, we can look to Paul as a good teacher to instruct us through our suffering because he lived it. All right, so let's see what God would have to say to us today about suffering and joy. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So here's what I want to do. I want to summarize what's happening here, and then we're going to ask a few questions to help us really kind of understand and apply these principles that Paul is going to show us on how to suffer well and purposefully. All right, but Paul is writing this, as we talked about last week, from prison and he's writing to his friends in Philippi who are just really concerned with about him all right he started this church he was with them for a while then he left to start other churches he hasn't seen the philippians for several years and in his absence the philippian christians they had heard reports that paul is just kind of going through the ringer all right that there's a lot of bad things happening and they're wondering how is our friend our pastor paul how is he doing and so he writes this letter and as he concludes the introduction which we looked at last week Paul tells the Philippians what has been happening to him. And if you notice, if you look back, he doesn't go into the details of all that he went through, but all we know is that he was in prison and things are not great. But he says to them, it's so interesting. He says, hey, guys, things are bad. But don't despair because all of these bad things that are happening are actually helping to spread the gospel to more people. And this gave Paul joy, because this was his primary objective, to advance the gospel. That for Paul, because his life was about Jesus and people, people meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. This was his preoccupation. This should be our preoccupation as Christians, but this is how Paul lived. in the Philippians, they were one of his biggest supporters, most faithful supporters. They came alongside Paul to help him to plant more churches. But Paul, as he's writing this, he's suffering in two primary ways, if you look by imprisonment, and by people slandering him. we're going to touch on both of these, okay? But the Philippian Christians, they, they loved Paul. They cared so deeply for him. They didn't want any harm to come to him. But along with that, they were deeply concerned with the advance of the gospel and more and more people hearing about Jesus and more and more churches being started. That the Philippians partnered with Paul like no other church that we have in the New Testament to see churches planted, to see the gospel go out to people. And since Paul was in jail, I imagine the Philippians kind of thinking, man, if Paul isn't able to travel, he's in jail, if he isn't able to tell people about Jesus and plant churches, what is gonna happen? Like how are people gonna meet Jesus? How are people gonna find salvation? How are they gonna hear about the gospel? But what we see is this, Doxa, the gospel cannot be stopped. Amen? The gospel is the power of God, and it cannot be stopped because Paul is being held in prison. And if you look at verse 13, it says that the imperial guard was holding him. All right, this is the Roman praetorium, all right, which was basically like an elite military unit that were like the bodyguards to the emperor. Upwards of 9,000 highly trained men that Paul was being watched by. And, and we historically, we know that there was a constant rotation of this praetorium that would come in and these men would chain themselves to Paul, stay with him for a while to make sure he didn't escape, and then new ones would come in and there would be a rotation. And what we see is that all of these men that Paul was coming in contact with were hearing the gospel, that even in his suffering, Tasha, hear this, even in his suffering, Paul kept speaking of Jesus. And as Paul spoke about Jesus and these men watched his life as he suffered, they were just intrigued. They didn't know, like, they were like, this guy has a joy and it's somehow connected to this Jesus. I don't get it. And what they were doing is to look back, these soldiers started talking about Jesus. And they were talking about this gospel that this prisoner was talking about constantly with joy, and the gospel was moving through these 9,000 men and beyond. And this caused Paul to rejoice because he was thrown into prison to stop the movement of the gospel, but now 9,000 more men are talking about Jesus. And this is Paul's MO, to live in such a way that allowed others to see the gospel in a whole new light. And doxa, I would say this is kind of our MO, what we need to be about That we don't just proclaim the gospel, but we live the gospel in such a way that people look and say, what is that? This was Paul, even as he suffered. And the fact that the people were hearing about the gospel through his suffering brought him tremendous joy. Now as this happened, other Christians were encouraged and began to grow more and more courageous and bold in their faith. That in this time, right, many Christians were in fact just timid, They didn't want to speak about Jesus and tell people about Jesus because they were fearful that they would end up like Paul. Persecution was running rampant, but as they heard about Paul's suffering and how the gospel was spreading and people were getting saved and it was just moving, they were inspired by Paul. And they put their fears aside and they began to proclaim the gospel boldly. And the gospel was spreading like wildfire. And this is why he told the Philippians, hey, don't worry. Right, he's telling them that God was working through his suffering, and this gave him joy. But even more than that, okay, as if his suffering in prison wasn't bad enough, he's also being slandered by other Christians. But look back to verses 14 through 18. We see that as these Christians begin to get bold with their faith, speaking of Jesus, because of his suffering, some were using Paul's suffering as a kind of launch pad to bring themselves fame. But some of the Christians around Paul, all right, these people that were proclaiming the gospel, they weren't false teachers. They were preaching the gospel, but they were doing it in a way where they could be the next Paul, where they could be the next big name, the next great preacher that could travel around. They were just prideful, egocentric people. And they rejoiced in Paul's suffering because they wanted fame and recognition, and they were speaking poorly of Paul as a crazy man while they told people about Jesus. They were preaching, as Paul says, from rivalry and selfish ambition, not out of love for Christ. And Paul says, guys, yeah, this is happening. It's very hurtful. It brings me a lot of pain. It's not right. But at least the gospel is going out." And so even, even though Paul is suffering in this way, he's able to have like a bigger perspective and see all the good in the bad that was happening to him. So this is what's happening, all right? But overall, as we, as we look at Paul here, here's what we're seeing. Guys, we're seeing a man who suffered well and purposefully. He suffered in a way that God did something great both in him and through him and his suffering. Now, it's my conviction that we're not given this record of history to kind of like elevate Paul in our mind to think that he's just some amazing, great pastor and we should just like, look at him and be like, Wow. That's not why we're given this. But as we look at Paul, guys, I really believe that God wants to teach us something about suffering and how we can suffer through life well and purposefully like Paul. And so in order to learn this from Paul as it relates to the suffering in our lives that we all experience, I wanna ask several questions to help us learn how to suffer well. And the first question is this. Doxa, how do you view your suffering? This is a big question. Think about it. In your suffering, how do you think about yourself, others, and God? In your suffering, what do you think is happening? Why do you think it's happening? I mean, what fills your mind when you think about suffering? And as you think about that, I want you to know, guys, that this is so incredibly important. That many people, so many people, many Christians, suffer in a purposeless way because our theology of suffering is incredibly malnourished and inadequate. And many people don't suffer well, they suffer poorly, and they miss out on the blessings of God because we, the first thing we do is we turn to therapy to help us cope before we develop a theology to help us grow. And theology is the undergirding of everything. And so therapy is, is good and it can be helpful and great and counseling, all that stuff, but we need to have our therapy driven by our theology. It's so incredibly important. We need to understand suffering. We need to understand what is God doing in our lives as we suffer? What is the purpose of suffering? This will be so incredibly helpful and can change your entire outlook on life and bring you joy when you suffer. And I want you to know as we talk about this, because there's a lot of bad theology out there around the topic of suffering. It really comes from just very poor Bible teaching. If you've grown up in the church, maybe you've been influenced by some of these. And I'm not going to spend time going into all these different things, but I'm going to mention a few that tend to lead people to think wrongly about suffering, thereby causing people to suffer poorly. First, you need to know that suffering is not avoided by you having a lot of faith. You know that? Some of you have been taught that suffering is a result of a lack of faith in your life. And this teaching is, is very prevalent. It's very popular among a lot of people today. It's called word of faith teaching. And it holds that God wants his people to prosper in all areas of life. That if you have enough faith, you won't get sick, you won't go broke, and really you'll just avoid all the hard things in your life because God wants your life just to be smooth sailing and perfect and great that you can always just smile and have the white teeth and just, right. It's that type of teaching. And maybe you think about that, and you're like, well, yeah, that sounds like what God would want from me. I want you to know that this type of teaching is just unfaithful to Scripture. It's not of God. And so if you believe that, you just need to actually run it through the Bible because you'll see that it's it's unfaithful. Because the logical conclusion to this teaching is that if someone is suffering and they're a Christian, it's because they're an unfaithful Christian that they have a lack of faith. And so rather than coming around that Christian who is suffering them and and comforting them and putting our arms around them and just crying with them and, and praying for them, we shouldn't do any of that. But what we should do is come to them and rebuke them because they have a lack of faith. And some people do that. It's very damaging to people. It's very damaging to our view of God and it's unfaithful to the Bible. Because here's the thing. We see throughout Scripture that there are people with great faith that still suffer greatly. Joseph, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Job, the Apostle Paul, even Jesus. They suffer greatly. They experience persecution and sickness in poverty and loneliness, and they suffer to a great degree. So it's not biblical and it's not the right view of suffering. Secondarily, you need to know that suffering is not necessarily... A punishment for a specific sin in your life. Now, we need to understand, like, for sure, God can discipline and punish for sin. We know that. That's his prerogative, and he's king, and he's father, and he's God, and so he can do that. But I want you to know that there is not always a direct correlation between suffering and a specific sin in our life. In Luke's gospel, for example, I believe, there's a, there's a situation where Jesus' teachers come to him. Jesus is with a blind man. And his followers come to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, like, what happened here? Is it this man's sin or his family's sin that he's blind? And Jesus says, What? Neither. This man is blind so that God's glory may be revealed, that it's not a consequence for a specific sin. And people who embrace this type of teaching, if you're here, And you embrace that. Guys, let me just urge you, keep coming around Doxa. I love it. There's room for you in the Doxa family, but please do not hurt people with this belief. It is not true. You hurt people, do a lot of damage. This happened to my wife years ago. She was being mentored by a few older ladies that she became friends with. But Lisa was having some like pretty intense, severe abdominal pains for like months. The doctors couldn't really figure out what was going on. And so as she hung out with these women every week, they were praying for her, laying hands on her, just praying. And after some time, the pain didn't go away. And these women confronted Lisa and basically just rebuked her. And she told her, she told they told her that. her her pain and her suffering was a result of unconfessed, hidden sin in her life. And they began to belittle her. They began to mislead her, causing her to question her faith and her faithfulness because apparently that this sin that was still in there that was causing pain was the source of everything. Guys, it's not true. It's not biblical, and it's hurtful to people in their view of God. Here's what you need to know, Docs. suffering is real because Satan in sin is real. right, see, when God created this world, he did not create it with pain and suffering. But pain and suffering that we all experience is a result of sin being brought into the world by a rebellious humanity. It's sin which led to brokenness in our world that is now the root of all of our suffering. And in our suffering, guys, when we are faced with the loss of control in our life, it's then that we come to understand that we are not able to take care of all the problems that life throws at us. And it's then that we are pointed to the gospel where we find the only answer to help all that we need. That we all need salvation and we all need hope and Jesus is the only one to give that. That we all have sin. This is the thing that kind of unites all of us, all of humanity. We're broken, sinful people. We have sin in our life, in our past, our present, and our future, and that sin will keep us from God. And it's only Jesus where we find forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God. And apart from him, guys, I just need you to know that there is only eternal suffering ahead of you, which is just the terrible conscious reality of hell. And we love you enough to say this, but this is the primary thing that we need to know. And it's Jesus and his salvation and his promise for eternity that gives us hope that the pain and the suffering in in hell is not our end. Amen? This is what the gospel is all about. That Jesus brings us a beautiful hope for eternity. Somebody needs to hear this today. That if you're here and you're, you're here at Doxa but you're not in Christ, you haven't come to Jesus in faith, I just need you to know that apart from Jesus there is no real hope for you. There just isn't. And yes you can have a a small amount of hope that the suffering that you may feel in the present moment will diminish and eventually maybe kind of go away because if you lift up your eyes to eternity and realize that you will go on forever and it's not just the 60 70 80 years here but you will go on forever you need to know apart from Jesus there is no hope it's eternal suffering but for those who put their faith in Jesus In his life his death his resurrection there is abounding hope right abounding hope where one day he will bring all of it to an end he will eradicate sin and pain and suffering once and for all and we need to know this it's going to come to an end the best is yet to come there's a light at the end of the tunnel it's not now we're living in this gap We're this already, but not yet, and we're waiting with anticipation for Jesus to come back and do that. But right now, you need to know that we will suffer. But hear this God uses our suffering for good. Paul knew this. And so, as we look at Paul with the way he lives his life, he shows us the right way to think about suffering. Look back to verse 16. Four words that Paul says I am put here. I want you to circle that in your Bible. He says, I am put here. Paul says he's put in prison. And we can look at this and we can say, oh yeah, well, for sure. Like the Romans put him there. The Praetorian, they, they, they put him there. But this wasn't what Paul is talking about. Paul had the right view of his suffering because he had the right view of the providence of God. And here's what I mean by this, guys. Undergirding all of Paul's joy, all of Paul's perspective, all of Paul's suffering was an unshakable theology in the providence of God that all of the events of life are under the sovereign control of God. Even our suffering. And while we can feel out of control at times, in our suffering, God is always in complete control. He's never out of control. And while things might seem over our head, we need to be reminded that they're still under his feet. That God is provident, providential, he's sovereign, and he's good. And here Paul is explaining through his life circumstances the truth that he writes to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 8 where he says, we know that for those who love God, that he works together everything for good and that if God is for us, who could be against us? This is what Paul's talking about. This is how he's living it out. And from a human perspective, right, you look at Paul's life and it's like, man, everyone's against Paul and that's why he's in prison suffering. Paul saw it differently. That in all of his circumstances... He saw the outworking of God's plans and he trusted God in the midst of his suffering. That Paul understood that God allowed his suffering or brought it to be to do something good for his plan. And he viewed all of life and all of his circumstances and all of his suffering as a God-given opportunity for glory, for growth, and for gospel advancement. And this brought him joy. Now if you know your Bible, James chapter 1 should be ringing in the back of your head. Here's what James says. says Jesus' half-little brother. It's going to come up here on the screen. James says it like this. Count it all joy, my brothers. There's Paul's language. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, sufferings of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." And what this is pointing to, guys, is that we can suffer well. We can suffer in a purposeful way and that God can use it. And we can find joy in the midst of our pain because we know that God is in control and he's at work and out of his great love, he has ultimate good planned for us. This is what Paul understood. This is what he lived out. And, Docs, I want you to know what this means is that you can trust God. You can trust that God can redeem anything bad that happens for good, just like he did with Paul. And I think the reality that Paul and James show us is that suffering is a chance to grow in our faith and in our maturity and to advance the gospel both in us and through us. Because let me just kind of share the nature of suffering with you, okay? By nature, suffering is a great revealer. All right, that when we suffer, we're squeezed. This is what's happening. This is why we feel so uncomfortable. Like we're, we're squeezed when we suffer. And when we're squeezed, what's inside of us comes out of us. The good and the bad. And so as Christians, we have both the gospel and sin inside of us. When we are squeezed, they both come out. The gospel comes out as we trust God and we bring glory to him and a witness to others. But oftentimes, when we suffer, you see the nasty stuff come out. You see, your anger, your insecurities, your unfaithfulness, your lack of uh, belief, sin, it comes out as well. And as this comes out of us, it's the great opportunity to repent, to change, and to grow in the likeness of Jesus, which is the goal of our lives and will bring us closer to God. And when we understand this, because this is how we can have joy in suffering, as Paul and James say. And that's why 18 times in the New Testament, joy and suffering are mentioned together. Now, we we don't tend to think of it like that, right? We tend to think of joy and suffering as, as foes, as enemies. But according to the scriptures, joy and suffering are friends. Because suffering can actually bring gospel growth and make us more like Jesus, resulting in incredible joy. Now, let me just pause and just say this. This is incredibly hard, right? I mean, you hear that and you're like, okay, yeah, great perspective, my house just burnt down, praise the Lord, right? Right. This is really difficult. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's not true. This is true, but it's hard. And guys, I will tell you that as I stand on this stage right now, there is profound suffering in my life. There's hardships that I never saw coming. There's things that I wish would just go away. There's suffering that I was not hoping would come. And it sucks. It's uncomfortable. It's incredibly sad. It's maddening at times. But even in the midst of this, I can see how God is using it. I can see how God is sanctifying me. How he's making me a better husband, a better man, a better friend, a better pastor. I can see how God is changing me more and more into the likeness of Jesus. How his glory is being revealed. How the gospel is moving forward both in me and faith is growing in me and coming out of me. How his love is being experienced by me and others around me and in that I rejoice. Even as I'm sitting on my couch, even as I'm sitting upstairs in my office and tears are flying out of my face, I can rejoice because I can trust that God is good. He's providential. He's got a plan, and he loves me. Marshall Seagal puts it like this, and I quote, God can build a blazing and refreshing sanctuary in the wilderness. He turns our deserts into places for us to explore and express greater depths of delight in Him. Instead of being a threat to real joy, He often makes our sufferings a means to even more. And I think He's right. Doxa, you will suffer. Don't waste your suffering. Second question is this. When you suffer, what do you do to get through it? Right, what do you do? Do you kind of just like stuff it, not talk about it, act like it's not there, nothing's happening, just kind of becoming numb to your emotions and the people around you? Do you fixate on it? Do you fixate on all the pain and get angry with what's going on and you, you fixate on the people and the problem and all this injustice and you just look at it and then you just get angry and you try and tap into that anger to kind of push you through to a new tomorrow, hoping that you can become better and not bitter? Is this what you do? Do you self-medicate do you turn to people or substances or food like what do you do to make yourself like not feel kind of the pain and just numb yourself What do you do to get through where you become better and not bitter where you become more alive rather than suffering a slow death Doc said so there is a way to suffer well and purposefully where God can do something great in and through you What did Paul do Paul looked to God and he remembered the gospel of Jesus. And this reoriented his focus, his perspective, and the way that he responded to suffering in his life. That Paul understood rightly that God is a king and a father who is a helper, a strengthener, and a hope giver. Do you know that God is like that? Have you experienced him like that, Christian? It's true. And for Paul, his entire life, even his suffering, went back to the gospel to find all of this. The, the gospel was Paul's main focus. Even here as he writes to the Philippians and he tells them about what's going on, look back to verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me. We don't know what exactly happened because this is not Paul's focus. So many times when we go through stuff and we're suffering and we're going through injustice and we're going through hard times, we can tell you every single detail of why we feel the way that we do. Paul was not focused on that. Paul was focused on the gospel and Jesus and his truth. And he said, All this stuff happened. I'm not going to go into it, but this is, it happened. But look back. It's really served to advance the gospel. That's his focus, the gospel of Jesus. Guys, seven times in these seven verses that we're looking today, Paul makes mention of the gospel and of Jesus. And this is the key to suffering well. Look how the author of Hebrews puts it. It's going to pop up here on the screen. Here's what he says. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. All right, he's saying, man, don't get drugged down. Don't be drugged away from Jesus by sin and suffering and pain in tears in bitterness and any of that. Don't let that pull you away from Jesus. But instead, what? Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this, How? By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. This is the key to suffering well and purposefully. And not just suffering well, but making it through hard times, better and not bitter. That we can trust that God is not going to leave us and that he's going to work all things for good, even if we don't see it. Doxa, when you are suffering and it doesn't make sense, and you have no idea what's going on, when you're wondering where is God in all of this, let me just tell you this, when you can't see God's plans, trust God's heart. He's a good father. God loves you. He's got a good plan for you, and he's with you. And Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection point us to this truth, in the glorious future rooted in the promise of God that he is good that he uses everything for our good, that he empowers us to walk victoriously through life and he fills us with joy along the way. And one day, the day that we all look forward to, the greatest day of our entire lives, one day, God will wipe away every single tear from our eyes and sin and suffering and pain and tear, all of it will be done. Do you want that day? Guys, this is a day that I just long for. It's like, come Lord Jesus. Paul trusted in the gospel and these truths, and he believed Jesus when he said, I will never leave you or forsake you, and surely I will be with you always to the end of the age. This is how we get through suffering. This is how we suffer well and purposefully, looking to Jesus who is with us, who helps us, who grows us, who changes us into his image. And Paul knew that Jesus was with him. And so as he's sitting alone in prison you know what he's actually not alone Jesus is with him when he's sitting there weeping and crying because he's in so much pain and anguish you know what Jesus is crying with him when he is suffering Jesus is suffering with him and this can give us confidence and the grace and the strength and the perspective that we need to make it through suffering, that God is with us through the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Doxa, I urge you, I urge you, that when you suffer, because you will, keep your eyes on Jesus and suffer well and purposefully. Last question. What are the results of your suffering? Ask yourself this. Does the way that you suffer cause faith to grow or diminish? Like do you love Jesus more or less because you suffer? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like you love Jesus so much and Jesus is your greatest treasure above anything and everyone else because you have suffered to such an extent that you have lost everything and everyone around you and Jesus is the only constant and he is with you and he is for you and you love him so much. And you see people like that. And that type of person, you're like, wow, that, that's different. Jesus is real. He's helping. Or are you the person that something bad happens and we revert to being a little child and we shake our fists towards God and get angry with him and saying, how dare you? And we become God and we become the angry ones. And you, instead of pursuing Jesus, you run away from Jesus because you view him wrongly because we have a bad theology of suffering. What happens in you? What about others? As others watch you suffer, what happens in them? Look at back at verses 14 through 18. As Paul is suffering, the watching world sees that this Jesus that Paul was proclaiming was making a difference in his life and that Jesus was allowing Paul to live and to suffer in a way that he could never on his own. Have you seen people like this? You've been around those types of people? They just have an immense amount of faith. They're clinging to Jesus in the midst of everything falling apart in their life. And you look on that and you're like, I don't know God like that. And it encourages you. People didn't understand the way Paul suffered, how he endured how he trusted God in uncertainty and in pain and hardship, and this enabled him to be a witness, and God used him to cause faith to grow in others. Docs, I need you to understand that suffering gives us a megaphone for the gospel and the glory and the salvation and the presence of Jesus. And when we suffer well, people see that this is not normal. This is not human. This is supernatural. This is Jesus. And we point them to the gospel that Jesus is with us, that Jesus is for us, that Jesus is empowering us to live like this. And this is what Paul did. And as Christians were watching Paul, they were emboldened. They were drawn closer to Jesus. Paul's suffering increased their faith. Does your suffering help and strengthen the faith of Christians around you? Ask yourself that at Connection Group this week. Doxa, our theology and our view of God is on full display as we suffer. But not only was the faith of Christians around Paul strengthened, but non-Christians were seeing Jesus for who he is, and they were coming to faith. If you look back, Paul was literally chained to these men as they watched him suffer and they heard him speak about Jesus as he suffered. And as they watched this, they were radically impacted because they saw the difference that Jesus makes in a person's life. Some of you feel metaphorically chained like Paul right now. You feel like you're chained to your desk, stay-at-home mom, chained to your house, chained to your kids. Some of you are fighting disease, crippling ailments, and you feel like you are chained to the hospital time and time again, going through treatment. And you may be asking, why am I chained here? And God, through Paul, would say to you, you're not chained here, you're not. You are in a situation where I'm bringing people into your world and giving you the opportunity to speak of me and to suffer like me and to demonstrate to a lost world the difference that Jesus makes in the life of a suffering person. This is where we're at. And so you can be a witness for the glory of God and the good of others. Doxa, your suffering doesn't have to be in vain. God wants to use it. It's for your good and the benefit of those around you watching you. And so, what I believe that Paul would say to us, and what I want to say to you, is that God can redeem bad things that happen for, to us for our good. And so, as I close, Doxa, it's my prayer that we wouldn't waste our hardships, that we wouldn't waste our sufferings, our tears, that we wouldn't waste any of it, but we would rejoice that in everything there is a promise to be held on to and an opportunity for Jesus to be made much of both in us and through us. Jesus has overcome and has victory over all of sin and suffering, and we wait for the day where we will be with him in glory, where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. But until that day, we will suffer. Don't waste your suffering suffer well suffer purposefully, where god can do something great in you making you more like jesus and where god can do something great through you being a witness to jesus to everyone around so more and more people can have what you have eternal life salvation forgiveness of sin a great glorious savior and future ahead of us let's suffer well let me pray Thank you for your servant, Paul. Thank you for the example that we have as we watch his life. God, as I think about me, and as we're all forced to think about our suffering, even in this moment, God, I confess that so often I don't suffer that I turn inward. I run and do my own thing because I feel out of control that somehow I just don't trust you. And so God, I look to you and just ask that you would just help me. Would you help me? trust you, that you are good, that you have a plan, that you are providential, that you are sovereign, that you will work things for good. And when I can't see your plans, I can trust your heart. Help me with that. Help me with my disbelief. God, and for those who are just suffering greatly right now, Holy Spirit, be who you say. all of us to see our great need for Jesus. And that those of us who are Christians, we would be encouraged and reoriented so we could live like this. Live like Jesus and Paul for your glory and the good of the world around us. And for those who do not know you yet, help them to see their great need for Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we look to you and ask you to do it because you need to open up eyes, you need to soften hearts, and so we just ask that you would do it. God, we love you. Thank you that as we're reminded of the gospel, that Jesus is victorious, that he has conquered sin and death and Satan and hell and suffering, that we have a reason to sing. We just say that.